This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. Alan Chipnuck is the author of Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. Alan also covers the game for the Fire Pit Collective. He is in Atlanta for the Tour Championship this weekend. It's a pleasure to welcome Alan Shipnuck back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Alan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for saying yes to this. Let me let me start with Phil. At this point in time today, as you and I are talking with all the events that took place this week, do you think this is going exactly as Phil had hoped? Has it gotten out of control? Or do you think he's he'd still like to see more? Phil was right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sort of. Uh, you know, it, it's been an interesting moment in golf because a lot of the things that Phil has been pushing for and was pushing for have come true on the PGA Tour. It has to be bittersweet for him, you know, on the sidelines watching this. But, you know, he advocated for the players to have more of a voice. That's certainly become um, the reality, uh, led by Tiger and Rory. He, you know, he felt strongly that the PGA Tour was holding back a lot of the money that belonged in the players' pockets, while suddenly the Tour has come up with hundreds of millions of dollars more compensate its best players um so you know some of these structural things uh, oh by the way they started an nft program to sell nfts which will bring potentially a lot of revenue to the players so um you know phil kind of called this i don't think he quite game planned it out to the detail that we're seeing but um it's an interesting moment you know he he always saw himself as a maverick and as an agent of change and that was always his vision of himself and and how the tour could, could evolve. And he really set all this in motion. Now, did he go about it the right way? Was his language appropriate? Uh, was he a little sneaky at Machiavellian? You know, obviously, yes, all those things. So uh, you can be right and wrong at the same time. I think that's sort of Phil's legacy in this. But as the week transpired, Alan, I could not help but think of, of the whole Ryder Cup situation. You know, he... I think he feels he's there's things that have to happen in order for the change to happen, and if he has to be the guy to do it, he'll be the guy to do it. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, that, that's that's a great analogy because um, everyone, you know, the U.S. Ryder Cup team have been awful for decades. <laughs> we could all see that with our eyes, and you know, the old guard like a Tom Watson. Well, we always got to play better. Well, it's more complex than that. You know, you. The, the whole culture had to change. The, the leadership had had to change. The the buy-in from the players had to change. You can't just in a vacuum expect guys to play better. Uh, what, what did Europe do that allowed its players to always perform? And um, and there was a there was a template there that the U.S. kept ignoring. And, and Phil could see that and was frustrated. And he finally, you know, made the calculated decision that to create the momentum that was necessary for change. He was going to have to go public with this. So we basically sacrificed Tom Watson on the altar. It was a very uncomfortable moment for a lot of people in in, uh, in the world of golf. And was it was it entirely the right choice? It's debatable. But did it work? Certainly. Because it did create that momentum that was needed. You know, that kicked off the so-called task force that, um, that reshaped the entire U.S. Ryder Cup effort. And the Americans have now won two of the last three Ryder Cups, and they could win five of the next next six, seven of the next eight. I mean, there's a, a huge disparity in talent and, and, and age there. So, uh, again, 
Phil was right, but did he handle it exactly the right way? Maybe not, but he, you know, you, you can't argue the results. So he's, uh, it's part of what makes Phil such an interesting subject for biography and such a complex character is he, he is a good, he's a big thinker. He's strategic. He's always working in edge, but, um, <laughs> He can also be his own worst enemy. So, yeah, the the Ryder Cup is is certainly a a good precedent for what we're seeing right now. We're talking with Alan Shipnuck here on the Augusta Golf Show. Alan, help me understand the meeting that took place last week with Tiger and and Ricky flying in and talking to the players and what the announcements were this week from the commissioner. was this something that Tiger, was this what was talked about at the meeting and, and, and shoved down the tour's throat in the last five or six days? Or was this something that had been in the works for a while? Both. I mean, it was, it's, there's been a lot of conversations. You know, when Tiger went over to Ireland mm-hmm. for the J.P. McManus Pro-Am, he held a meeting with some of the top players there and there's been many quiet conversations and text threads um, throughout this year. You know, the, the, the threat of, of live golf is very real and it's been an inflection point for the tour and its players. And so uh, clearly something had to change. I mean, the, um, and one, one of the biggest weaknesses in the game is that the top players don't gather that often and certainly not very often on the PGA tour. You know, they do at the majors, um, but those aren't tour events. And, and, you know, Rory McIlroy's comments yesterday were right. You turn on a Buccaneers game, you expect to see Tom Brady throwing the football. But you can turn on many tour events that you don't get to see Rory. You don't get to see Phil. Well, not anymore. Um, you know, the, the, or you might, get, you might get a sprinkling of players, but it's so rare that they're all there. And when they are, you know, it's like, oh, what a great leaderboard. You know, like last week, yeah. uh, the FedEx Cup. This leaderboard is incredible. Well, yeah, because all the best players were there. That's what happened, and um, and so there was this recognition that um, that it had to change. But it also it, it goes both ways. Not only did the tour change, but the players had to make more of a commitment. So that, so yes, that that closed door meeting last week was the mandate for Jay Monahan. He said yesterday, you know, it's only, to his knowledge, only the second closed players only meeting that happened on the PGA Tour. The first was in 1968, and that's what led to the creation of the modern PGA Tour. So this was a big moment, and to his credit, things got done really quickly, and the Tour looked under the couch cushions and found a lot more money for the, the top players. But importantly, the players are also making a commitment by playing more, um, and you know they're, they're committed to a slate of these 20 mega events, and that gives that, that's a product that can be sold and marketed and Sponsors can be assured, like, okay, if I go all in here, I'm not just going to get a few of the best players. I'm going to get them all. And so it, uh, it's a big commitment by the tour, but also by the players. And so it's, it's really a momentous shift. Uh, there, there's a lot of secondary questions, and, and there's going to be a lot of fallout that goes along with that. But clearly, the best players drive the sport. And to have them together, playing storied venues like Riviera and, and others, great golf courses it, it's going to be a, a real boost for for the pga tour product do you think anything any any of this would be happening without live um not with this urgency and not with this scale mm. i mean you know phil's been pushing hard behind the scenes for years for this stuff and it was just um i mean the reason that live golf is succeeding 
you know, maybe not in the marketplace just yet, or maybe not even as a as a as a as a sporting product, but succeeding in attracting players and and creating all this energy is. I mean, frankly, the PJ Tour was ripe for competition. It never really had it, certainly not domestically. And the product got stale, and the the organization got complacent. You know, they were just um, the style of play that's been rewarded. You know, this bomb and gouge, all these different TPCs. Um, It's just not the greatest, most entertaining product. The, The TV presentation is terrible. All the social media offerings that the tour puts out are really lame. It's just um, they they made themselves vulnerable by not innovating, by not improving, um, and so um, yeah, you see you see that across the business world when when there's one tired old company that's dominating market share, uh, a, a jazzier startup can make a lot of inroads, and that's exactly what's happened. So. Um, you know, I think, yeah, if the, you know, the tour could have made these changes sooner. And if they had, they would have kept a lot of players in the fold. Uh, because ultimately, um, professional golfers, by definition, play golf for money. That's that's what's driving all of this. Now, there's there's secondary issues. But ultimately, if, if the tour had, had poured this much money into the players' pockets this time last year, they could have really blunted uh, the wave of golfers who have gone over to live. So... Um, but again, there wasn't that pressing need. There wasn't that that, that glaring competitor. So uh, it's easy to second guess what the tour should or should not have done. But the fact is, they finally responded. I mean, they've been on the defense this whole time, this whole season, ever since Live launched, and and finally they've done some made some big bold moves. And it was needed. It was overdue. Uh, but I, I think ultimately they'll be pretty effective. Are you convinced Cam Smith is leaving? I am. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who live golf. Um, it's essentially a done deal. But, you know, there may, and all these announcements were going to come next week, the day after the tour championship. There may be some buyer's remorse. You know, some of these guys are saying, well, geez, if I stay on tour, and, you know, I've been told seven players, seven tour members are going to make the jump uh, mm-hmm. next week. Some of those guys might be looking at the numbers and saying, geez, you know, it's, I could make a great living on the tour. Well, they're already making a great living. I can make an unbelievable living on the tour now. I get to play my favorite courses. I don't have any of the blowback of being associated with the Saudi money or, for that matter, Greg Norman. Um, so there's probably some there's probably some renegotiating going on. But uh, you know, in that scenario, the Saudis can just they can just they can double the offer. They can add another zero if they have to. <laughs> so um, it's it's going to be interesting what happens next week. Uh, and now that it's out there publicly that seven guys were going to go, that that puts pressure on Liv to make sure that happens. Because if they only announce two players, then it's going to be like, oh, uh, the tour the tour's winning the battle. So, you know, the the intrigue continues. We'll see what happens next week and beyond. But um, as of two days ago, Cam Smith is gone. Now, if he's reassessing based on this new tour landscape, uh, we'll see what happens. Alan covers the game for the Fire Pit Collective, and his and his latest book is Phil Rip Roaring Unauthorized Biography of Golf's Most Colorful Superstar. It would make a great gift for the holidays. Um, Alan, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. You got it. Anytime, John. Always a pleasure.